I was just going to say, that's why I call myself unleasher for the awesome, unleasher of the awesome, because all the awesome stuff is in people. Like I can't add IQ points. I can't make someone faster. I can't add a degree on their resume, but I can help them communicate with skill so that people see who that person really is. Because the reason I have a job is we say things all the time. That's not what I meant. That sounded better in my head. I didn't mean it like that. I didn't say it right. All of the above. Welcome to the Never Stop Getting Better podcast powered by Guardian Caps. Guardian Caps are a one-size-fits-all helmet cover that help reduce impact for your players during practice. Coach Perry is a huge proponent of Guardian Caps after using them at Pearl High School, and it was one of the first football items he purchased when taking the job at Nick's. Caps are mandated by the NFL for O-line, D-line, linebackers, tight ends, and running backs, and utilized by over 270 colleges, over 3,000 high schools, and over 600 youth programs across the country. As helmets become more and more expensive, the Guardian Caps also do a great job of protecting your helmet investment. See the link in our show notes for more information on Guardian Cap. In each episode, John takes you on a journey of growth, learning, and endless improvement. Whether you're an athlete, coach, or someone simply just striving to get better, this podcast is for you. Now, here's your host, John Perry. All right, welcome back to the show. Um, today's guest, I think you and I both are going to learn a ton um, from the person that I'm going to introduce to you now. Um, our guest today is one Amanda Box. She is the self-proclaimed communication evangelist, and she is the newly appointed unleasher of the awesome. Um, she has spent 25 years in a dual role of teaching on the college level and consulting with business and industries. Um, she trains and coaches individuals and teams for improved communication skills. The result for participants is more connection and cohesion in the workplace, which improves productivity and reduces draining conflict. Um, I've known Amanda for a long time. We've probably known each other for about 15 years, went to church together in Jackson, Mississippi. Um, and, you know, we were good friends while we were there. I did not know. I was probably closer to her husband who is Chuck Box, who coaches baseball at Texas A&M. He was coaching at a local high school there, so I was probably closer to him. But when I really got to know them both really well, I figured out she was the highlight of the family. It wasn't really him. And he's an outstanding coach, but, you know, he kind of had a, a built-in um, advantage having a communication specialist. So, um, you know, welcome to the show. Thank you for agreeing to do this. I'm very appreciative. My pleasure. It's great to be here. Well, and I also missed um, your other talents, which include consuming large amounts of baseball, fiction, and Diet Coke. We're going to talk about <laughs> the Diet Coke before we get off of here, but um, that's everybody's got their faults, right? <laughs> Nobody can be <laughs> yeah, perfect. I'll take it. That's, that's, the worst, that's my worst fault. Too much I want to start with a sentence that every time I, you know, when I pull up your information, like I pulled up your website, which will give the folks and you know, when I pull up anything about you, I see this sentence, the success of your communication determines your success in every other aspect of your life. What does that sentence mean to you and what should it mean to us? Well, when people focus on accomplishments, that they accomplish their goals, they win that championship, or they're just in a really good place, they just celebrate the win. And that's as it should be. If things are not going well, they immediately start talking about the communication. 
So that's what it means. Your communication is going to make or break everything else. And it's sometimes talked about as a soft skill, which is slightly offensive, but it's it's going to make or break everything else. If your communication is not strong, then you lose credibility. Your leadership is weakened and it goes downhill from there. Well, you know, I think um, I have a uh, one of my coaches is a police officer, 25 year retired police officer, was fantastic, you know, very successful in that field. And I asked him if he would present a lesson to our kids Monday. And I said, what's the one skill, you know, that the most successful people in that line of work have or need to have or lack or or what have you? And he said communication without a shadow of a doubt, you know, and, you know, if you think about it, when a police officer deals with somebody, you know, they can diffuse the situation or they can blow the situation up by how they communicate from their end. So, you know, his lesson is actually going to be on communication. All right, let me toot your horn just for a second, because I know you don't need it tooted because you're the self-proclaimed communication guru. But if you remember, I think it was last year you came in and, you know, you did a deal on conflict for uh, my coaches. I did, Uh, yes. Do you remember Kyle Nelson? Yes. Kyle Nelson had just, I guess, had a rough evening with the wife. So he walks in having... Um, had some conflict and you know since you left like his relationship I know is better because he has actually brought that up to me you know probably three four or five times how that you know and I don't know I don't even know if you remember what you said but when he presented you with the issue you looked him square in the eye and you said hey man that's all because of your ego and it just slapped him square in the face, you know, like it Did hit I say him. it like that. Did I say it, it like that? It was pretty blunt. And that's pretty much what you said. But it was exactly what he needed to hear at that point in time. And, you know, everything for him changed since then, you know, and that's, um, you know, one of the things I have heard you we'll get into that in a minute. But ego prevents us from a lot of things, you know, like e- e- ego holds us back um, from doing a lot of things. Yeah, but ego, not in the sense that we have to have our way all of the time. It's ego in the sense of if I unzip myself from my my body and I'm feeling attacked in some way, I'm afraid something's going to happen to that, Amanda. So I call it baby ego. Yes. Not that I'm trying to have my way all the time, but there's a there's a very intense level of fear. Like if I had taken a brain scan of his brain when he was in that conflict, it would look like he's about to be punched in the face. No and doubt. So we react like that. So that kind of ego, not I have to have my way all the time ego. Well, you know, I think as you know, and tell me how this um, you know, what do you think about this ego in the sense of one of the biggest issues that I see coaches have, you know, young coaches, older coaches, all coaches is when a kid makes a mistake, you know, they get upset. They may raise their voice. They may say a dirty word. They may, you know, but it is very, it can come across as very attacking to the kid, you know? And my thought is this, I think that goes back to ego, you know, instead of, you know, being able to take ownership of, you're the coach, you're coaching the kid. And if the kid's not getting it right, you know, we need to look at ourselves and figure out how can we communicate that better? Because I'm going to be honest with you. I've never seen 
and you you can help me out. You're the guru. I've never seen improve in, in performance improve by just dogging somebody so out. Well, that was going to be my response. If it works, I'm not going to go in there and try to fix something that's not broken. But yelling at someone is generally not, <laughs> especially if it's in front of other people, then you bring in like a humiliation kind of thing. No and then, you know, we really are feeling attacked because we kind of are being attacked. So it takes a whole lot of confidence to withstand that. People do it, but it takes a lot of maturity most of the time it just makes people mad or embarrassed or all the things that cause performance to go down. Not up. Sure. Well, I heard Urban Meyer say one time um, and how his last job ended, that may not be a positive, but I heard him say <laughs> um, the louder one screams, the more they tell everybody, they really don't know what they're doing. You know, like that's, you know, that's probably not the best form of communication. And that is a big issue with coaches. I know, um, you know, just from my experience. All right. This is where I want to start. The very okay. first thing that you ever did for me. And then I know, you know, we had you in the mastermind uh, group that Randy Jackson runs that, you know, um, deals with a lot of coaches of all different sports and they're not all coaches, different people. Um, seven seconds to make a first impression. You did you that for my team. Seconds. All right. Now you're going to have to be really good at this communication, right? Because this is audio only. So you're going to have to explain, you know, with your great communication skills, what does it mean when you say you have seven seconds, um, you know, to leave a lasting first impression? You have, you will make a first impression in seven seconds. And then that first impression will last not only for days and weeks or months, but years. Our brains are geared towards avoiding things that are unpleasant so in that first seven seconds, I'm making up my mind. Do I want to talk to you again? And do I think you want to talk to me again? So it really lasts. But communication is a learned physical skill. So when I do the things with my eye contact, with my voice, with my handshake, just with my presence and my energy to send out positive messages, then that's going to create a good first impression. So that's what I did with your guys. We just taught them how to introduce themselves. And that's easier said than done. And it's not just with teenage boys. I did this with in a corporate setting the other day for college graduates because they were being sent into this corporate headquarters and they wanted them to know how to present themselves. So it's not it's not just for kids. Everyone needs it. Yeah, no doubt about it. You know, that the day you left, uh, one of my coaches had went and interviewed just recently for a head coaching job. And, you know, when you walked out the door, we were debriefing and he made the comment that, man, I wish I'd have had that like seven days ago because I did not leave the best first impression that I could have. What's the number one thing? You know, what's the number one, number two, top couple things that people do wrong when they are you know, have the opportunity to meet somebody. They need to talk louder and they need to talk slower. Names can be tricky. It's hard to remember names. So louder and slower. Okay. Let me ask you this. Because... Go ahead. Well, I communicate with skill so that people see who that person really is. Because the reason I have a job is we say things all the time. That's not what I meant. That sounded better in my head. I didn't mean it like that. I didn't say it right. All of the above. Well, you know, from the practice that we've done with our kids, louder and slower is tough 
You it's know, hard. Like it was <laughs> tough. They're so fast and they're so quiet. And then I think this, you know, probably the second hardest thing is eye contact, you know, and I don't know why, but they tend to, you know, they do tend to look away. Do you see that? Yes. Well, males don't use eye contact as much as females. And when you're introducing yourself, you know, we, we don't go through the day being very conscious of how other people look at us because we're busy, we're working, we're doing whatever. But then all of a sudden I'm on a teeny little stage and I'm a little bit self-conscious because of you're looking at me and you're sizing me up. I know that. So then I can be fueled by a few of my insecurities. And so, you know, that direct eye contact can be a little tricky. Well, the the one thing that helped with the kids was, you know, we broke into groups and we went and practiced. I mean, we went and spent 15 minutes introducing ourselves, you know, with a coach that had about five minutes worth of training and, you know, louder, slower, (laughs) firm handshake, you know, like, and, and, you know, they did like it was, amazing how much better they got because one thing that I love that you said is it is a skill you know I mean just like walking was a skill we didn't come out of the womb you know knowing how to walk we had to learn how to do that and communication is no different yeah it we we coach the same way you're teaching your kids how to do things with their bodies we communicate with our bodies so these are things that we have to to learn and practice refine run it tweak it run it again and it blows my mind that especially coaches don't practice communication more like you of all people understand drill 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 but then when i say something we need to do this out loud the coaches are like what we have to do this out loud i'm like Yes. <laughs> you're not only going to do it once out loud, you're going to do it again. No, do it again. No, louder, slower. Okay, do it like that. It's uncomfortable. Good. That means you're doing something different. It needs to feel different. Well, that's why everybody that, you know, that works with a program of any sort ought to hire you and bring you in because it is a skill, you know, and, and that's something that we can learn to do better because, you know, the, the, how we communicate with our kids is everything, you know, now I run across this stat and this was on your website. Okay. And this is going to lead to an issue. I need you to help me with. Okay. I saw where listening accuracy is about at 25%. Okay. Now I don't know if this relates to, but I am terrible with meeting somebody new. Okay. Like, and I try to loud, you know, uh, slow, look them in the eye, you know, decent handshake. Like I got all that. Okay. But man, as soon as I turn around, I don't have a clue what their name is. What's that about? (laughs) Well, it's because names can be tricky and they're not tied to anything necessarily. You know, family names, they're just unfamiliar. They can be family. They can certainly have a geographical reference and they're just new, but mainly it's, it's this new piece of information and you're taking in a lot. You're taking in a lot of information about this person. So really that's just a discipline of saying the name over and over a bunch of times in your head. I usually try to write it down as quickly mm-hmm. as I can and then go stalk them on Facebook or Twitter or something sure. just to learn a little bit of, you know, learn something about them. So those are just little moments that happen to everyone, but you can go right behind that and, and create a habit yeah. of, you know, repeating it, repeating it or attaching it like my last name box you know attach that to a box whatever 
Those sure. are just little memory tricks. Well, I need to, you know, like writing it down or putting it in the notes on my phone. Yes. Would be helpful because if you have the practice of storing the name, then obviously you've said it in your head a couple of times. But, you know, what I figured was problem number one was I and most other people that can't do that very well don't listen. Like we really well, don't listen. It. We're thinking about what we're going to say. That's part of it. But it's also because they're probably not saying their name very clearly mm. and it's probably not loud enough. Yeah. There was this one time where I met someone and I still don't really know what his name was. He <laughs> said, Donnell. I don't know if it was Donnell. I don't know if it was Don L something. <laughs> I don't know if it was Donald. I still don't know. And I even asked him a few times after that. And then I got embarrassed and gave up. But the point I would like to make is anything that you want with your communication, it has to be a habit. You're you're not going to rise to the occasion with a presentation, with an interview. Certainly, you're not going to during conflict because people are too defensive and in any other setting. So we have to create the habits we want. We practice them in our everyday conversation. And then it becomes the things that we do. And so when the intensity is cranked up or you're in a conflict or whatever, you're just going to do what you do. So you're naturally able to think at a higher level. Which yeah. is all that stuff is physical. It's, those are the very same principles that you teach your guys on the field. Sure. Well, I know it's no different. that's one of the things that I know you went in and, you know, did for folks. Um, moving to the next topic that, you know, I know in the mastermind, we did a deal on, you know, like coaches and conflict or, you know, a parent meeting. Um, I think when you were on, Randy Jackson had just flunked out on a parent meeting, you know, like he had had one that went south and he walks out or whatever, you know, and then we have the uh, we have the meeting and you coach us up and he's like, man, wish I'd have had that seven days ago. That might have went better. <laughs> yeah, well, I think what's really relevant probably for your audience listening to this podcast is I'm 30 something years into being married to a coach. And the first few years, Chuck was coaching college. And so parents aren't really a big factor in that. But when we moved to Jackson, which is where we met you, then he began to coach high school. And that was a much different story. So while, you know, my field of communication and his and coaching always kind of went nicely together, then all of a sudden he's having all these parent meetings. I mean, I remember one terrible year where we owned two houses Chuck was hanging on to his job by a thread. Yep. And I was pregnant with kid number three and I was 42. And his, his principal took like 12 different meetings about his job that year. And so I, unlike any other, or certainly, you know, spouses know, but nobody else, like unless you're in that world, you do not know the pressures of coaching sure. like we do. And so that was a tough year. And in high school, it's just a whole different story. So then it became necessary because he would come home. I've got another parent meeting. Well, what about, you know, Amanda, what do I say? Well, what do you want to say? So that's where I started really understanding how ill-equipped coaches are to handle conflict because you're wired to win, baby, win. That's right. But you have that same mentality in an interpersonal conversation, you're going to lose every time because conflict cannot be win-win. I mean, it can't be win-lose. It's That's never going to work. So we really had to work on, okay, how do you think about it? 
How do you say this? Okay, stop talking so much. That was a lot. That's a lot of what I have to coach my clients. Okay, say what you need to say and stop talking now. And then just this idea that we've already been discussing, get a plan. I don't understand why coaches don't plan these conversations better. You know, John, you would never send your guys out to a competition without preparing them to your absolute best. You're drilling, you're practicing, you're strategizing, you're watching film, you're coaching up, you're coaching every second of the game. Yet when there's a parent meeting, you know, coaches just walk in there and it's a landmine. And they just walk, they walk straight into that landmine with no plan. What do you mean plan? Well, I mean, what do you get, get a plan together? Meaning let's think about it. What do I want to say? What needs to be said? Let me get a few sentences here that I can be assertive and clear. And there is a methodology for that. That's one thing I definitely help coaches with. And let's go in here and, and let me get my administrator. Let me get, let me plan with them. Okay. What are the, what is the protocol here? How long are we going to be in this meeting? So I have lots of, I have lots of coaching tips for coaches in that meeting, but getting a plan is one of them and then practice what you need to say out loud. And that's important. So all, all of these things and a lot more things that I would coach anybody. I don't think, Coaches get training on that at all. And you know what? I grew up in a time where if I said anything about the referees, I grew up in Kentucky. So, you know, basketball's life up there. And and our communities were definitely, definitely wrapped around our basketball teams. Sure. If I ever said anything about a referee, my parents would get on to me. <laughs> and it's not like that anymore. No, ma'am. No, it's it's really not. And so parents are much different now. And so how do we how do we navigate that so that we can maintain this relationship, be assertive, do what's best for the kid? Well, that takes a lot of strategy. So coaches have the strategic mind to do it, but they're kind of trained to win instead of go into this conversation with the plan that's actually going to going to work. Yeah, I, that's awesome, you know, to have a plan, which means you have had to work on that, think about it, write it out, you know, um, practice it before you do it. But my question is this, and you, and you touched on it, like um, how are coaches supposed to know how to do that? Like that, that wasn't taught in school. That wasn't taught, you know, now some of us might've been lucky enough to win the parent lottery where, you know, they had great communication skills, but, you know, the majority probably didn't win the lottery. So, you know, like, how are we supposed to get it? You know, so we do mess it up and, you know, we, we get, you know, like Randy, I mean, Randy had been coaching 30 something years, you know, and had never really been coached on how to have a parent meeting, you know? Um, And I had a thought while you were, while you were talking. Okay. Cause I've done this for what, uh, let's see, about 30 years of this. And I've seen a bunch of principles, you know, like I've seen some good ones. I've had a lot of great ones, you know, fortunately, um, you know, and a couple probably mediocre, but I'm going to be honest with you. It seemed to hinge on communication, you know, like the, the greatest principles that I've been around, they could, there could be a conflict between a teacher and a parent and they could bring in both parties 
and both parties would walk out satisfied. They may not be overly happy. They may not be, but they understood. They had an agreement. They walked out satisfied. Whereas some of the other principles, they couldn't do that. Like they might just 100% back the teacher. Well, then the parent went to the superintendent. You know what I'm saying? Or they might back the parent and the teacher, you know, goes and finds another job, you know, like, but all of that hinged on that individual's ability to communicate. Well, here's what I know. Leadership is largely dependent on credibility, which is almost all nonverbal communication. Am I believable? Am I a trustworthy source? Mm. And the ability to handle conflict. So what I love about coaches is that they're avid consumers of knowledge. Like you guys just consume the information, the new books, the new speakers, the new ideas, like you just crush it. And so communication, like I've already established, is a learned physical skill. So you absolutely can learn how to do it and learn how to do it really well. And at this point where we are in the coaching world, then what athletic directors are telling me is that they want to equip their coaches. So they'll bring me in and we just work on it because it's not like it's rocket science. You just have to know what to do. So then you get your plan, you get your structures, you get what I call pocket phrases, which are just words to keep in your pocket for when you need them to help you hold your ground. And then you're not thrown off all the time. So that's what you do about it is get some training, but people are terrible at it. And so I'm not pointing the finger at coaches. Everyone's terrible about it because you're going to do what you know, which is, you know, who you're around the most until it's too painful or you learn something else. And it's, it's a fun day, you know, the, and I think I love my ability to really understand it because coaches want something they can use right now. And that's what I love about this communication training is if I get a couple of hours with coaches or half a day or all day, then they're going to be able to put these things into practice immediately. And and they like that. And then we get to keep great coaches because the conflict is the draining part. And that's what forces them to think they need to go sell siding, you know, instead of continue coaching. And, And we desperately need our coaches to be, in a sustainable position. You know, we need them energized, not, not uh, so drained that they don't want to do that anymore. Well, if you're listening to this, um, you should bring Amanda in, you know, if you're an AD, bring her in for the whole, you know, athletic department. If you're a football coach, you know, bring her in for your staff because, you know, some of the bigger staffs will have 12, 15 people. And, you know, it is a skill that you can build. And Amanda has, because of 25 plus years of working in that field, she is a guru with that and you can benefit from that. And, you know, life can change because being able to communicate effectively is a game changer. Okay. So bring her in. I know we have it, Nixon. Well, there's just so much you can do to outsmart that conversation. I was being interviewed by Stephen Mackey not too long ago, and he was asking me about the parent meeting. And I was like, okay, I need to talk a lot before (laughs) so you don't get to that parent meeting. Let's, you know, the conflict parent meeting, I mean, you know, how can we work on your credibility? You know, let's let's talk about all the 
50 things you can do to get a communication plan in place because there's just so many things you can do to increase your credibility and your effectiveness as a communicator. Parents really expect to be able to see behind the curtain. And that's that's not how most coaches grew up. You know, it was more a little more authoritative. And so if we can bring in the parents, partner with them, of course, communicate better, get a plan in place, then that allows you to have the flexibility to change what you need to. But you're putting some really big, important foundation pieces down to outsmart that conflict parent meeting. And it's it's completely doable. Amanda, I can 100 percent vouch for that. Okay, I mean. Okay, listen, I become a first year head coach um 12 about 20 years ago. And I'm in my first year, I think, and we're like in the second or third round of the playoffs for a program that had won two games the year before. So like, you know, feeling pretty good about Don't myself. And we go and we are getting beat by a team that's probably better than us in the playoffs and a guy attacks my wife verbally, you know, like not attacks her, but attacks me through her. Like your husband's terrible. He sucks. Like he's the reason why we're losing, you know, da, 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 da. well, Stephanie comes out of the bleachers crying and I'm upset because we've lost the game. So my emotions are not right. So like I go after him, like I go and I'm going up into the bleachers to get him. Like that's just, and I get caught by my principal and, you know, talks a little sense into me and we stop, <laughs> but like early on in coaching tons of issues, you know, not tons, but lots of issues with parents, you know, because it's different than the English teacher, you know, like the English teacher is performing in front of her 24 students. And, you know, we go out there and perform in front of several thousand and they're free to say whatever they want, you know? So oh, yeah, their communication skills are great. Like they've never had an issue getting their point across, <laughs> as you well know, you know, but what if, you know, we trained young coaches on the front end as right. to how to handle, you know, a disgruntled parent or a disgruntled fan or that doesn't exist. And in the education field, I sometimes, you know, like teachers have a, a pretty good amount of staff development, you know, like there are things, but there's not anything to teach a coach how to communicate and how to, you know, put up and tolerate and have great parents. Like that doesn't exist, you know? And I think that's ever the more reason why you need to be in every high school in America. Well, everybody needs conflict training. And I think that's what you described is what I understand. I understand a coach's day, This when all the other faculty is going home, the second part of their day is starting. Sure. You're putting in easily twice as many hours often. You're spending more time with other people's children than you are your own. So many coaches are spending their own money on equipment. We bought a lawnmower for the field one time (laughs) when we first started. I didn't realize that, but it became quickly apparent. (laughs) And, you know, you're, you're, Coaches just pour themselves out into this team, this sport. They're avid learners. They're they're just giving it absolutely everything they have. And then to get criticized like they are so publicly, of course a coach is going to be defensive. But if you know how to handle that, 
then you can handle that. I mean, I remember one time Chuck won a state championship with our crosstown rivals. We were on their field. It was very close gang. And so we we ended up winning the championship and all the kids and families are out of the field celebrating. It was a great night and on and on it went. And there was this one parent that was standing in the middle of the field amongst the crowds, not just for a minute or two, but for like 45 minutes fuming. We had just won the state championship in this very close game against a good team. And this one parent was so angry at Chuck that, um, you know, I walked up to our AD and I said, you know what? I'm sorry. You're going to have to deal with that in the morning. Right. I'm sorry that my husband can't get 24 hours (laughs) to celebrate this win before his job is on the line here. If, if that parent had had their way, he would have been fired and he said as much. So I, you know, I mean, we, I want to do absolutely everything I can to help a coach handle those kinds of situations. Conflict is inevitable. Coaches know that, you know, that you live in a fishbowl and you're going to be criticized. Uh, But what people don't see is all the blood, sweat, tears, commitment, discipline, everything you have. And it doesn't just happen to you, the coach. It happens to the family too. And so I am, as you can tell, I want to do absolutely everything I can to equip people to be able to handle that. Sure. Because it is tough. You know, that's, a, um, you know, I had a year, one year we went four and eight. And, you know, they were calling in to the Bo Bound show, like wanting my job. Like he's been there long enough. He can't do it. He's not good enough. He's, you know, and I would, I don't listen, but it obviously gets back to you, you know, and then the following year we play for a state championship. The year after that, we win a state championship and the dude that called in to the uh, radio show was the first guy on the field to like, give me a hug, you know? And I just, I just, you know, if I had been 30, I would have probably punched him. Right. But (laughs) I just gave him a hug and went on, man. Like I understand now, but you know, if we had been educated on the front end, you know, we could have saved ourselves a whole lot of problems. Yeah, well, the point is when you come in and you get a little bit of training with me or someone else that's a great fit for your team, it's a good day, it's light, we're talking, we're moving, we're, you know, I'm bringing candy and Legos and things for us to do while we're there. It's it's a, it's a good, fun, light day, but you come out of there really equipped and, and ready to go. And it does apply to your personal life as well. I'm so grateful to hear about your coach that things went a little bit better. One, I know a frustration for coaches is that the in-service rarely really directly applies to sure. them. Sure. They have to go, but so, so little, you know, very little of it really applies to them. And so if, if you can bring in someone that has this kind of skill set to, to teach everyone about conflict and teachers have their share too, absolutely. Then just we're all a stronger culture, community, healthier people. You know, research says that when people are in conflict, they revert to about age 12. Yes. And, when I, and when I'm working maybe especially with some individual clients, because I do a lot of individual coaching with people who are just, you know, they just can't deal at work. When they're done, they don't know what else to do with them. That's when they bring me in. Then I hope they're 12 because usually they're behaving younger than that. Hey, look, 
time. Amanda, um, I think it was two nights ago. We had conflict in our house with old Stephanie and myself, right? Okay. And I'm not going to lie to you. I think she reverted back to three. Like 12 <laughs> would have been, <laughs> 12 would have been a, I'd have been appreciative of 12, but it was not. Let, now, now that we're there, okay, let's, let's, um, what, what advice for, you know, conflict when, when you and your spouse, you know, things do get heated because, hey, think about this. And I know because you're a communication expert, you are not exempt to this. I'm going to say the box household from times to time gets a little heated, but because adversity, man, like adversity jumps on everybody differently. And, you know, like I have so-called trained myself to handle it really well. But from time to time, you know, we all fail. We all slip below the line. What are a couple of things when dealing with your better half um, to keep in mind when conflict arises? Now, y'all may have never had a disagreement before. I don't know. But in the Perry household, we have had a few um, they have yeah, they've actually declined with our kids. As the older our kids got, the less our, um, you know, conflict was. Right. But, you know, like what are no, some things about that? We've definitely had a few. Not too long ago, Chuck looked at me and he said, you're supposed to be a good communicator. <laughs> That's below the line. <laughs> and only because I have a few years on me now, because in my head, I'm like, you know what? You're supposed to be a good baseball coach. And when you <laughs> win every game, then you can say that to me. I did not sure. say that. Sure. Uh, and that's one of the reasons we're still married. Sure. <laughs> because I learned early, you know, I'm learning academically, but I'm also just learning experientially too, that being defensive like that, when people throw out statements like that, our, our family in particular is just bait. So don't take the bait. Sure. And and I mean, is that was a low blow for even for him. Sure. And it wasn't long ago either. So yeah, we have we have plenty of fights around here. And I can tell you some of my own bad behaviors as well. But um the thing I think helps me the most is to reframe it. Because you know lots of good things can come from conflict. You know, teams that you've served with, coaches that you've coached with, like when you have handled adversity, that that's when you're strengthened. That's when there's more cohesion. That's when your understanding and perspective grows. Some of those things can only come through conflict. Sure. So while nobody loves it, then we can think about, oh, all right, you know, I'm not being chased by lions here. This is just this is just something I don't want to say opportunity because that sounds, you know, really kind of naive, sure. but it is an opportunity. And so instead of win, lose, I like to think of it just as a puzzle. Guardian caps are lightweight, one size fits all football helmet covers for practice. They reduce 20 to 33% of the impact, depending on the speed and the location. Great for the repetitive subconcussive blows that add up throughout the week. Also great for body blows. Used by Clemson, Penn State, Washington, Oklahoma, 150 other colleges, and about 2,000 high schools across the country. Also protect that helmet. If your helmets are getting beat up at the end of the year, Guardian Caps can help protect that helmet investment. And, okay, here's a puzzle. So your blood pressure goes down a little bit. You know, you solve a puzzle by putting the edges together, putting the colors together, moving the pieces around to where you get something that fits. And so if we can use this metaphor in our head, oh, yeah, I'm really irritated right now. But, okay, let's get let's click into 
this puzzle mode. And then I begin, I, I'm, I'm curious, okay, because if there's irritation, if you're in a fight, that means your stories are different, which is one of my favorite books, Difficult Conversations. I highly recommend it. I use it in all conflict training and I've worn out my first copy. I'm on my second difficult conversation. Gotcha. So it talks about how our stories differ. Well, okay. I can tell within the first few minutes of talking to clients, why they're in conflict and where we need to go based upon how they tell their stories. Our perspectives are different. So if I'm going to, so you take all that together. Okay. I'm editing out as much defensiveness as I can. I'm not taking the bait. We're in a fight. I'm okay with that. There are lots of things that people are certainly entitled to be angry about. And I trust people to make that decision on their own. We're not going to agree. It's inevitable. Good things can come from conflict. So let's just click into problem solving mode and skip all the stuff that's not going to help. And there, that list is a really long list of things we do that we know are not going to help. The sarcasm, the talking to other people, the rolling of the eyes, the saying whatever and walking out. Like we do all that stuff, but none of it helps. It's just time. You're just wasting time. So let's let's get on the list of things that actually help, get it worked out and move on. I have one speed and it's wide open. So I want to be as efficient as possible. And I think that's why coaches really like this training. It's because it's fast. Sure. You know, once you start clicking into it, you're like, okay, boom, let's let's go. Well, and I think, you know, I've I've heard this the other day um about a coach that the way he communicated with he was a professional uh offensive line coach. And I was talking to the offensive lineman that he coached for 13 years, and he said the coach always operated out of the thought process that you as a player are going to do your very best. Like nobody shows up and says, you know, today I want to suck. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not the way people show up. Right. Like, you know, so he, he worked under that. So then he was always asking questions, you know, and, you know, we kind of go back to what I said about coaches sometimes, man, they get upset, they get angry and I'm not exempt to that. I mean, I can do the same thing from time to time, but they throw out statements you know, that are harsh or, you know, like demeaning, but what they should do is swap all of those statements for questions, you know, instead of, and this was, this is, you know, a real life example is, you know, I used to 10 years ago, a kid threw an interception and man, I would dog that kid out. Like I would, I, I was so mad because he threw the interception, you know, that nothing positive there was nothing improved. All I did was send him out there with a worsened state of mind, scared to fail, a worse mm -hmm. football player. Whereas now, you know, the first thought is, what did you see? Yeah, what did you see? What, what did you see? Right. And then make sure your questions are real questions. Like, why did you do that? It's not a question. Sure. You know, are you are you serious right now? Those are not questions. And then you really touched on a point that I hammer with my clients because people get so angry about what someone didn't do. And I have to ask this question a lot. Did you ask for what you need? Well, no. <laughs> well, if I'm not thirsty, I'm not going to offer you a drink of water. So for you as a coach, you figured it out already. That doesn't help that kid perform better. Oh. But if I ask for what I need interpersonally, hey, here's what I need. 
And in fact, I was in Frisco um, with Stephen Mackey a few days ago. And that conversation for a student athlete, you know, coaches are all about the accountability. But students are really reluctant to have that conversation because we're kind of asking them to what they hear, what they tell me. This is what players tell me. Hold each other accountable means I have to be the boss of somebody else. Well, peer to peer, that's that's really hard. So we talked about ways to outsmart the call out is what I call it, because they don't want to call out their friends or peers. But so how do we outsmart that? And one of the ways is this is honestly the last resort because there's a ton of stuff you can do just like coaches can to build rapport relationships and this interdependence where you don't want to let somebody down. But if you really truly get to that point where you need to say something to another player in the game, then ask for what you need. Hey, and you know, Hey, you, I'm not going to say to a fellow player, you've got a terrible attitude right now. You know, you're not even trying, like, I'm not going to say that. And I don't think a kid is either, but can I say, Hey, we need you to be hundred percent right now. They can ask for what they need and they can say that. Sure. So that advice is in the corporate world. It's in the interpersonal world that works for coaches that works for players. Let's ask for what we need. And that other person can say yes or no. It's their call, but I'm going to ask for what I need. Yeah. That's, that's probably the next thing that, you need to come to Nixa, Missouri for is, you know, what sometimes we spend time talking about, we want to be a player led team, not a coach led team. Like when you're a player led team, you know, extra special things happen. Well, to be a player led team, you must open your mouth, you know, like you can't. You do. And, and what, what we don't teach that very well. So what we say is we need you to lead. We need to hold each other accountable, but they don't, and, and they want to but they don't know how or they would be doing it. Sure. And so accountability, of course, is so healthy. Of course, we want to create a culture where the relationships are so strong that they don't want to let each other down. But that happens months and months before the game. You can't suddenly hold somebody accountable during a game. It takes five to seven positive interactions to undo one interaction. So if the first time peer-to-peer you're offering any kind of support like that is negative then that of course that's not going to go well and and the the other word I would like to introduce along with count accountability is interdependence because then instead of a kid hearing I need to be the boss of somebody else or I need to be the babysitter that's the language one of the athletes used I feel like I have to be a babysitter then interdependence a team understands that Everything I do affects everybody else. So this is how we get to this culture of accountability. It's not something you say in an intense moment. I hope it's not. I hope it's all this work you've done to outsmart the need for that moment. But they don't understand that because you know why, you know why they don't, John? It's because we don't. Sure. Like you can correct, teach, coach yell whatever you want to do with your players because you're the coach you're the head coach you have a very clear line of authority but with stephanie your wife with your co-workers with your boss you're in the same position that those players are it's peer-to-peer and that's very different 
when there's a clear line of authority. If I if if someone is playing for me or they're working for me, then I have the authority to say whatever I need to, and they're in a position that they have to to some degree accept it. But peer to peer, it's a lot tougher, and kids don't know how to do it because we don't know how to do it. Yeah, I'm just sitting here thinking, you know, like we want to be a player led team, but how do we? you know, do that. And then my other thought was this, are you saying that I'm not the head coach in my family of my wife? I mean, don't tell her that. Okay. Cause <laughs> I'm just, it's a we're, joke. Yeah. Well, we're partners, right? We're equals, you know, we're equals and it's, it's yes. different when we're equals. We are, we are 100% responsible for each other. There is yes. no doubt about that. Um, tell me this, you know, a cup, a couple ways. And, and one of the things that we try to impress amongst our kids early on is to be an encourager, you know, encourage other people. Um, I think in order to have a difficult conversation or to say something or ask a question to receive a different outcome, there needs to be a relationship built. You know, like you said, you can't just, you know, I mean, you can't have no relationship with me and walk in here and just jump my butt, you know, like, but if I know you care about me and you call me and tell me, you know, that I need to do this, that's a totally different story, you know? So, you know, what's a couple of things I can do with the kids, you know, to start that process and is teaching them to be encouragers of each other, you know, a positive start. This topic is so critical, I think. It goes back to the habits we create. So if you want to facilitate that, then I think grade to grade is just easier for them to connect, relate, admonish when they need to, but they're going through the same thing. So that takes the pressure off an underclassman from the expectation of correcting somebody older. Sure. Then I would just encourage them to do stuff together. Yeah. Football teams are big, but break everything down into smaller groups. And, you know, like they, that game we played at your with a tennis ball and the focus ring. Yeah, it was and, great. Yeah, just do activities like that, that really you take them off the field, but you're yep. still building those same kind of characteristics. Sure. sure. And then you hope that those friendships pick up. And if you set the expectation that – yeah, we want accountability, and this is how you build this. You have to know each other. And then I thought of this idea, like, what do they know each other? What do they know about each other? Could you set up a little quiz? What's your favorite color? Some coaches have buddy dates where they you sure. know, match each other up and they, they do fun stuff together. There's all kinds of great stuff that you can do to build those relationships. And then all that stuff is positive, 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 and you can set up little prompts to certainly modeling it that the you're creating the habit of, of encouragement. And, and there's so there's a, there's not a wrong way to do that. There's not a wrong way to do that, but coaches have to coach everything, right? You're not just coaching the sport, you're coaching the character, you're coaching the communication, you're coaching the, the accountability, and I think really that needs to be defined. This is how we create a culture where we don't want to let each other down. So the the positivity. And then too, I think I think what what I would like to see is is where you really talk about what works, that you give 
a couple of your leaders a prompt and ask them to volunteer and say, hey, if I'm not exhibiting the effort and the attitude that you expect from me, here's how I want you to address me. So then your more mature kids are inviting in and how you how they want that to work. And so then you're and I promise you, they've never been asked that question. Sure. No how doubt. do we want to be approached and talk about, okay, we want to be accountable, but how does that work for our team? You've got a lot of things that are already in existence in your culture that will really work. You've got the nonverbals, you've got the slogans, the don't matter, get better thing, the themes, you know, hold sure. the rope is one that Chuck has used. Uh, so what is another one of uh, all those things like use those kinds of phrases and nonverbals that go into your everyday culture and teach kids how to use them in in those moments that that need some correction, that need some asking for what we need right there. Because mm-hmm. all those things are there. Like if I told you, if I told a 15 year old what to say, it would be dumb because I'm not a 15 year old boy. Sure. But if I tell him what, if I ask him, okay, here's your, here's your situation. What's already in your language and nonverbal communication, body language, and just slogans, sayings, energizers, whatever, then, then use those things because they're already there. What happens is this, when everything's going good, they're high-fiving, they're dogpiling, they're cheering, they're, they're all over each other. But when, but when things are not going well, it's crickets. Nobody knows what to do. For sure. So we've got to teach them to use those tools they already have in those moments, but nobody's modeled that. People just back off, back off, back off. And then two years later, they call me in because it's so toxic and bad. So let's let's outsmart that situation in a big way. You know, it sounds like we've come all the way back around to communication. Like, <laughs> I never leave it. I have one lane. I have one lane. I stay in it. I'm evangelistic about it, and I make no apologies. I make no you apologies. Know, the great thing about your lane is, you know, it is. It's not just a lane; like it is a highway because. <laughs> communication can be so meaningful in so many different avenues. You know, I mean, you know, we've talked about with players, we've talked about with parents, we've talked about, you know, with other humans, with our spouse, like it's, you know, and now we're talking about, um, you know, like being a player led team goes back to how we communicate with them and how they communicate with us and how they communicate with each other. You know, like, you know what, John, I've asked so many players this question. Okay. We'll talk about uh, accountability because coaches want to hear from me. What do I, or, and players too, like, what do I say in that moment? So I'm asking all the athletes, you know, we have 30 years of athletes. Every time I get one, I'm like, okay, how does this work? And they always get this funny look on their face. Hmm. They've never seen it. Right. What, what they know is that teams that have accountability had done all this relational work. And in the games, they don't want to let each other down. So they've established these norms and rules and whatever's going to happen is going to happen before they get to that game. And then when they get there, you know, if they need to say something, you're asking for what you need. But I I get the same look on every athlete's face, meaning they've never seen it work very well. They don't know what to say either. Sure. No doubt. They They just recognize it when a team is going well. They'll talk about that. Right. And, and, 
you know, like you said earlier, when everything's going well, you know, there's not a much need for a communication. <laughs> you know, like people communicate well when things are going well, right? Yeah, the yeah. I, and that's great. That's awesome. Life happens, right? Like yeah, yeah. jumps in there and, you know, I've not met anybody that's won every game and won every conversation. And, you know, so <laughs> we need help with that. So once again, you know, if you're listening, you need to bring her in. She can help your program, your school, your business. Um, she can help you as an individual because some people, you know, like some people need it as an individual. I mean, some people are um, by nature, they, I, I've met people that desire conflict, you know, like they, they strive off of it or they thrive in wanting to keep con conflict going on, you know, and if you're one of those, you need to hire like tonight, you know, because that's a tough way to live, right? It's All right, exhausting. let me ask you this. I got a few questions. If you've listened to any of the other ones, you probably knew this was coming. If you have not listened to them, then, um, you know, shame on you. So I've listened to all of them. I've listened <laughs> to all of them. I'm just joking, okay? I'm not. I've listened to all of them. <laughs> give me a, uh, give me a couple of books. You know, like you've mentioned one. Um, yes. Difficult conversations. Is there another book or two, or is that the number one that you would recommend? Yes, my top books are Difficult Conversations and Crucial Conversations. Mm. So I'm obsessed with both of those. Okay. And then there's a book by Joan Ryan called Intangibles yeah. that talks about team chemistry and the different roles. And I, I, I think you guys, I think all, all teams should read that book together. Intangibles, I got it. At least coaching fast. I think I have it. I think it's on my shelf to read. So I will bump it more toward the front. Okay. Um, <laughs> give me something else. You know, give me um what do you do? What are what are a couple of things you may do in the the arena of getting better? You know, like what's something you do on a daily basis, man, whether it's a habit, a routine, a a discipline, or you know, something you do other than read um, to help yourself continue to grow in wanting to be great at what you do. That makes me think of, of where I got started. And I cut my teeth on college freshmen who yeah. did not want to be in speech class. Sure. And I was at that age, I was often wrong, never in doubt. And I went into that with everything I had so green and naive about how bad people hated speech class. Sure. I got my, I got my first evaluations and cried for a couple of days and I picked myself up and I was like, all right, got it. They are a resistant audience. And I'm so grateful for that experience right now because once I understood the resistance that I had to connect and engage in order for those kids to want to learn, then I started getting better immediately. And that's essentially has been my job for 20 something years now because I'll fly in I'll meet a group of strangers and I have to learn to connect and so that's what I'm always trying to do every day is be very flexible to be really able to read the room in a hyper kind of way I'm very aware of what what's going on sure. in the room I'm working on those nonverbals. And, and you know what? I have a really tough skin now. So I've, I work every day. I'm trying to edit out the defensiveness, which is the hardest 
thing yep. I've ever done, ever done. So I'm working on that, on that every day. Sure. I don't want my response to be defensive and it still is sometimes. <laughs> so sure. those are things I'm working on. I'm constantly working on reading the room, trying to edit out the defensiveness and just trying to connect, connect, connect. Sure. All right. Um, in leadership, they say a lot of times, more things are caught rather than taught. You've got two kids out of the house. You still got one kid in the house. What do you want those kids to catch from you? Mm-hmm. Or what, you know, the older ones, what, what do you want them to have caught from, you know, being around you and, and growing up, you know, with you? I love this question. What I hope people catch from me is that our communication is this way to show some really basic hospitality, not with casseroles or a dinner party, but how we really are with each other, hopefully with an awesome conversation. Yes, I'm teaching people mechanics and strategies, but underneath all of that is just this hospitality. And if I can communicate sincerely that I believe you have value because you live, you breathe, you exist, then no matter what's going on between the two of us, we're going to be able to figure that out. That authenticity creates a great conversation, a great relationship. And it's this teeny little snapshot of what it means to be in relationship. And that to me is a beautiful thing. That's awesome. Okay, my last question. What makes you happy? I don't have a scoreboard in my work, but when a person works through that conflict, it's like I win the Super Bowl. Sure. When somebody gets that job, I am, it carries me for a week. When I unleash the awesome, that's what it is. It just is the best because I know that person's life has just been changed. Not because of what I have done, but it's because of other people can see who they really are. That makes me crazy happy. Hey, well, trust me when I say this, you unleash the awesome in a lot of folks because one of the, one of the pitfalls probably of humans in general is they don't really like to brag on other people. So like you probably don't catch one tenth of the compliments that you actually have in this world, but every once in a while, you know, we all get somebody that sends us a message that just is good for our soul and good for our heart and makes us happy. You know, I got one, today i had a parent send me a text and man like i'm not a crier i first of all i don't cry okay but when i got through reading the text i had like a tear in my eye and i'm thinking like i'm inside this can't be an allergy problem like what's the problem you know but you get those little glimpses and i know you do too i know you know when that person does get that job or you know or that coach comes back and says man my relationship's better you know, it just is like I've removed my ego from the conversation, you know, like that's, you know, I know that that is a uh, 
you know, a happy feeling. All right. Tell, tell me, and I'll put this in the show notes too, man. If somebody wants to get in touch with you, give me all of it. Give me the website, the email, the phone number. Um, and I obviously have all that to put in the show notes, but where, where can they, where can they locate you? Yes. 601-896-4622. Twitter is box underscore Amanda. Instagram is box communication Inc. LinkedIn is Amanda Edwards box. Have I left out? What about box- email? box.amanda at icloud.com i'm ridiculously easy to find john ridiculously yes, like google amanda box if you google amanda box the first thing that's gonna pop up is gonna be her website which is absolutely awesome there's several things on the website that you know you can go down a rabbit hole um on several of which we have touched on but the Website's great. There's a lot of information there that you can um, gather. The website is uh, amandabox.org. Yes. I think that's the one that we didn't cover. (laughs) Yes. Amandabox. I got that on the top of my notes, amandabox.org. But, you know, when I Googled Amanda Box, it was the first thing that popped up, you know, so I figured that would be um, with them. Anybody that, and I've said this several times and I know, man, if, if you have the means to, you need to bring Amanda in and, you know, if it don't work out, um, I will refund your money. I really won't refund your money because I guarantee you it'll work out. It will be better. I know she's come to Nixa, uh, Missouri several times. You know, the people here absolutely love her and she has helped our school district tremendously. And I know there have been other coaches that I'm friends and ADs that I'm friends with that have brought her into their schools as well. So you will not regret bringing her in. Any parting shots? Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh. Thank you for being here. One of the things I love about listening to all your podcasts is yes, I'm learning for those other people, but I love how excited you are when you're talking to those people. I, I just love that. I love the enthusiasm. And I love to get up and learn. Hence the reason the na- the show is named Never Stop Getting Better. <laughs> I hope that I never stop trying to get better. And I enjoy, you know, like talking to you. I mean, I, I don't know how many folks will listen to it, but nobody's going to get as much as I'm going to get. You know, like I got as much as anybody's going to get. And, you know, it's one of the reasons why when the when the uh, stewardess comes on the airplane and tells you uh, when when cabin pressure fails, you know, and the mask drops, puts it on yourself first, right? Like you have to help yourself first. So, you know, I do want to serve people and that's the purpose in doing this, but, you know, I also want to get better myself. So if you would share this episode with anybody and everybody that you may come across that could use some better communication skills, if your spouse is challenging, send it to them. Don't tell them I sent it to you. Okay. But, you know, we know, um, Sometimes our spouses need help, right? So we can send them a good communication podcast with Never Stop Getting Better. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Amanda, for being here. It's absolutely awesome. I can't wait to host, uh, be the Airbnb host for you the next time you're in Nixa. So we'll be waiting. Thank you. Until next time, adios, amigos.